When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show, Ratsaw Review, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lilquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spin-offs, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past, and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's Musings, the Metal Thrashing Nerd podcast with Metal Thrashing Mike, the Timo Toki podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon founding member Timo Toki, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, a podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam, and the Music is Live podcast with Lou Mavs. The Ratsaw Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop for the best podcasts out there today. Go to RatsawReview.com for more info, and to find out where you can find, follow, subscribe, and comment on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and all streaming platforms. The Ratsaw Review Network. We're taking over. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs. On the Rod Sound Review Network. The legend loomed so large. People heard the story about once upon a time, there was a band that went up on stage and destroyed the arena. I've talked to a number of fans who are like, oh, if I could go back in time, I'd love to go back to 1976 so I could see Kiss in concert. 1996 comes around, and guess what? It's brought to your doorstep. We went in there and did everything we were supposed to do and left everybody sweaty, exhausted, and jubilant. They went further than anybody else would ever dare go. Kiss isn't just music. Kiss isn't just a stage show. It isn't just makeup. It isn't just merchandise. It just reminds generation after generation, this is an act that's fun and the music is great. History is oddly repeating itself, and if that's the case, Kiss continues. Yeah. Even when Kiss steps off the stage from their very last show, Kiss is going to continue. 
transparency is to some extent, it's a byproduct of the world we're living in right now, which yeah. in itself is not a bad thing. I mean, I think we need more transparency in a lot of what's going on in this world. You need to understand what's the government really doing, what's media really doing, what are corporations really doing. But at the end of the day, Wait for it. this is just rock and roll. This isn't life and death what we're right. involved in here. It's not. You know what? If Kiss or pick any artist of yours that's a favorite ceases to exist tonight, the sun's still rising tomorrow. Stop that. Silly. We're still going to work. We still got jobs. It's not life and death. So that's kind of where I sit here and go, okay, if it really is going to impact my life, then it's important to me. But whether it's Kiss or Bon Jovi or anybody else who wants to do what they need to do to continue to perform, that has zero impact on my life. And I'm literally not going to break a sweat worrying about it because I got so much more stuff that I can worry about that's meaningful. You know, again, it's just rock and roll. Turn around. Look, it's rock and roll. <laughs> For me, as I mentioned before, my favorite band of all time is Black Sabbath. When they released an album and went on tour without Bill Ward and then went on their farewell tour, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, I don't want to support it then. And it's not to say that I didn't accept past lineups of Black Sabbath that didn't include Ozzy or Bill Ward. But for me, when you're saying that it's a reunion of the original lineup and the person responsible for some of the most original drum playing that pretty much defined a genre is not there. Well, then that's my objective as a fan to not support yep. it financially. Exactly. But did, did I cry about it? No, I just lived my life. You made like, your decision and went on. I mean, that's exactly what it comes down to, especially in the rock and roll world. You know, if something upsets you, make your decision, vote with your wallet. Again, at the end of the day, that dollar bill, the dead presidents are what means more to everything in pretty much any business. I mean, you go boycott Starbucks if you don't like them, stop giving them money. If you give them money, you're telling people, I approve of this. And there's literally nothing wrong if somebody wants to do that. If you wanted to stop supporting Sabbath because of Bill Ward not being there, that is your right. There's literally nothing wrong with that. Where it gets really messy is when fans start going, well, this is what I believe, and you got to believe the same thing I believe. I, no, don't, I don't like that. No, I don't. I don't have to. I respect that you can believe what you want to believe. I got no problem. I'm not staying up at night worrying that you made that decision why are you staying up at night worrying about the decision i made when i was younger it was a different story like to me it was upsetting when pantera and i was like 18 19 when they didn't make number one with reinventing the steel but then looking back i was like the hell was i so angry about well exactly you, you know, know when you're a kid you've got different priorities different things are important in your life when you're an adult when you're a parent, it's completely different. I could care less. You can curse what, if you want. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I could care less what a band's decision is. I may not agree with it, but you know what? It's their band at the end of the day. They get to make the decisions, not mm. fans. They are the ones that have lived, breathed, and made whatever that band is as big and as successful as they'd hoped for. If they decide to change their mind, 
I might not like it, but it's not for me to say. I mean, if Coke decides to make new Coke, Coke's going to make new Coke. My decision, I'm not going to buy it. Then nobody bought it. They changed it back. But that decision isn't for us to have a say in. Nobody gets to have a say in what a business decides their plan is going to be. Do we get to decide whether McDonald's makes some new food or not? No, they make that based on their knowledge, their expertise. We can choose not to purchase it because we don't like it, but we don't get to have a say in deciding what a business does. A band is a business. And frankly, there's nobody on the planet that knows a band's business better than the band members themselves. There is one funny story I want to bring up about Michael and me. Somebody posted on one of the Facebook groups that we're both members of a picture of Paul Stanley and a painting that he put up. And I admitted I wasn't too keen on the painting. (laughs) I, I... I wasn't a big fan of it. So I posted up a picture of my goddaughter's painting, my goddaughter, Lily, who I love dearly. Hi, Lily. Uncle Louie loves you. And I said, I'd rather drop 10000 on this than Paul Stanley's painting. And Michael came out of nowhere and said, is your goddaughter selling her paintings for $10,000? I'm like, God damn it. Good point. <laughs> but, you know, I, mean, I didn't it, take you know, it personal, it, it, you know, and, and I was willing to admit, I'm like, all right, he schooled me. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 you know, that's the problem. I don't know. Maybe it's a good or bad problem. So many fans take things way too seriously, way too seriously. Rock and roll in my mind has always been about having a good time, having fun, escaping from the serious bullshit in your real life. Why would I want to make more serious bullshit in the world of a band that I love that's supposed to make me forget about the real serious bullshit? You know, Kiss has always said, you know, a Kiss concert is someplace you can go to forget your life for two hours, to forget about school, to forget about your job, to forget about, you know, your marriage, if you've got problems, whatever it might be. You can forget about those issues for two hours. So that's a beautiful thing. Why would I want to inject problems in there? Like, oh, my God, look, he's not really playing the guitar. Oh, he missed a note. Oh, the drummer's offbeat. Oh, there's a backing track. Dude, I'm going to have a good time. You know, as the Poison song goes, I'm going for nothing but a good time. That's it. How can I resist? Boo! (laughs) You know, thankfully, I think if you go to most concerts, you'll see the vast majority of fans are doing the same thing. Nobody's going there. I shouldn't say nobody, but the vast majority of people are not going there to critique, to nitpick, to tear apart, to find fault. They're going there to raise their fists, to sing along, to jump up and down, to bang their heads, whatever it is, and to go home with your ears ringing, exhausted and sweaty, going, damn, that was fucking fun. What would you say in your experience were challenging and rewarding moments in your career with the bands you've worked with? And it could be anybody. It could be Kiss. It could be Ozzy, Madonna, Dream Theater. I'm pretty sure that every artist you work with has their quirks. You know, the most have also been those moments where you're like, yes. I would say one of those moments was definitely when we successfully launched the Kiss VIP program in 2003. We had no idea if that was going to work or not. It worked beyond what anybody could have ever imagined and hoped for. I mean, to the point it became a standard in the concert industry to do VIP programs. 
Kiss is still doing them. When Kiss started them, they did them better than everybody else. And Kiss is still doing VIP programs better than anybody else. I've seen some bands do just embarrassing VIP programs. Kiss, they give you your money's worth. They want to make sure the fans get their value. So that was probably one of the biggest, proudest, successful moments I've had. You know, every band, like you said, has them, whether it's, you know, landing a great review, landing a video premiere somewhere, selling out shows. For the most part, there's always something exciting and positive that every band has. And that's that's part of what I enjoy most out of this is like, you just never know going into any band, what's going to click, what's going to connect, what's going to work. Because the same thing you do for this band doesn't work for that band. I remember first hearing about you back when I watched the VH1 special on Kiss called Behind the Makeup. I'm happy that the same stance you took then is the same stance that you take now. If anything, you're just more wiser to the changes in the industry. It's cool for me to say that the person I saw on my TV 20 years ago, the person that I'm talking to on Zoom right now is the same person, the same ethics, the same values, just more experience and actually doing it. At that time in 2000, 2001, Kiss was my favorite band in the world. Having discovered them at the age of 13, I had just witnessed the farewell tour. That was my first and only time ever seeing the band. So we're talking the first night of Jones Beach in uh, June of 2000. As a kid, having seen the original lineup and what I thought was their actual farewell tour, which time showed that it just ended up being more of a farewell to the original lineup. I'm not going to lie. As a fan, it was heartbreaking, but it was more confusing. And many people will say that it was the worst tour of the original lineup, probably worse than what the Dynasty tour was because of substance abuse and things like that. And that's not my place to say. I'm not here to say, well, people were wrong for saying that. I know when I saw it, I had a hell of a good time and I enjoyed it. The demand for Kiss was still there. Here we are 20 years later. We're at the end of the road, so to speak. 10 years ago, when I first discovered Three Sides of the Coin, and it was the original three, you with Tommy and a certain person I won't mention, um, <laughs> you have de- <laughs> you've dealt with KISS fans on a daily basis, on social media and on the show. What do you think separates KISS fans from other fans? Like, what is it that you think makes them tick, really? And most importantly, what do you think they, they, they kind of mostly missed the point about? You kind of mentioned it already where you said it's just rock and roll. And I agree with you on that. But even I have to admit that what scares me as a fan is when fandom goes too far. I could say that about myself. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. That's what scares artists. That scares anybody, whether you're a musician, an actor or whatever. When fandom goes too far, that's when they get a little worried because it's like, okay, are we stalkers? Are we getting threats? Do we have to be worried about stuff? I mean, everybody's got that. Now, you know, about the KISS fan base, I mean, first of all, I will say every artist has a crazy fan base. They're all different in their own ways but they all have the same freaking problems. Fans who want to tell you what would be a better album, a better producer, a better tour, you know, a better way to do this, a better way to do that. Fans who've had never been in a band, never done anything in the music industry, never done anything, but they know what's better for the band. So that's consistent through all artists who have large devoted fan bases. I think what makes Kiss slightly different is kiss has been here now for almost 50 years and kiss has had some very 
distinctly different eras of the band. You've got the early Kiss. We can say Kiss from the debut album through Love Gun. You know, that was classic Kiss, classic era Kiss. And then you've got solo albums through The Elder, which is, oh my God, what happened to Kiss? They lost their way. They got lazy. They got rich. They got whatever it is. And you got specifically, you got Dynasty and Unmasked, Disco and Pop Kiss. You got The Elder, which is like, what the hell, Kiss? I love that album, and I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> well, no, but again, it I, I enjoy it a lot, but, you know, timeline being everything, as we say in the show, if you were a Kiss fan, when that came out, that was rough. That was rough to be a Kiss fan when Unmasked, when Elder came out, because you were ridiculed everywhere you went if you had professed to be a Kiss fan. But then, of course, you've got from Lick It Up through Revenge. No makeup, only two original members, different sound, different style. You know, you've got the very controversial Vinnie Vincent guitar player. And then you got makeup brought back. And all of a sudden, they're basically a nostalgia band. Yeah, they did Sonic Boom and Monster. But for the most part, they just became a nostalgia band living off of their past. Yeah, I will say Monster was as good as anything that they released in their heyday. Absolutely. But I mean, it, it, you know, they, they, they were basically no longer an active recording band. It wasn't like Kiss from 73 through Revenge, where if you were a fan, you basically knew every year it was going to be a new tour, a new album. You know, it was you could count on it. You know, in 96, that stopped, stopped happening. So you've got all these very dramatically different eras with very different sounding albums, with different members in the band, boy, every one of those things becomes a point of argument. Who's the better guitarist? This person, that person. Who's the better drummer? This person, that person. What's the better album with no makeup? What's the better album with makeup? What was the better tour with this guitar? You know, think about it when when you have a band that's only been around for five years and maybe only did two tours and released two albums. There's only so much a a fan can argue about in that sort of fan base. You know, Kiss is, like I said, they've been around for nearly 50 years. They've given us plenty to debate, plenty to go back and forth on. And they've been around so long that there are now people who discovered Kiss well after the 70s heyday. Yeah. I mean, can you fault them for not being as big a fan of the 70s? They weren't born. They weren't around. How could they be as taken aback by Kiss in the 70s as as we were when we were there? But that makes you no less of a fan. You just became a fan in a different period of time. But you're still just as important a fan. And I think, you know, what you've got are Kiss fans who are like, well, my my memories are the best and most important memories. And you can't to tell you they me. are. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. They sit there and go, you can't have better memories than I can. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I do. I don't have your memories. I wasn't raised by you. I wasn't in your time frame. You know, every band has that, but KISS fans, I think there's a lot more that they can use to slice and divide and debate and this versus that. And very few bands have 
the depth of history that Kiss has. I mean, we're talking bands, the only bands that, you know, they're in that same league are Beatles and Rolling Stones, you know, bands that have been around for that long and are still around creating material. ZZ Top, Scorpions. I mean, Bobby James and the Shondells. There's very (laughs) few bands that have been around consistently for that long, continuing to create. Creating could be a tour, could be an album, could be a book. But the longer you're around, the more stuff your fans are going to have to argue about. And I think that's what Kiss is fortunate in that sense that they're, you know, again, we've done a weekly Kiss podcast for 10 years. Believe me, a lot of people have said, is there that much stuff about Kiss to talk about every week for 10 years? (laughs) You're talking about 50 years of history. We never thought there would be, but yet here we are still finding stuff to talk about. They're still creating and releasing stuff. Okay, they just released Kiss Off the Soundboard at Donington. Guess what? New thing we can talk about. You know, touring Europe, slightly different stage. New thing we can talk about. There's always something there with these guys. Or even finding people who were involved with different members of the band in one facet or another, you know, I mean, sure. yeah, they, you've had uh, Lydia Chris, you've had uh, Gordon Gigi Gabbard, you've had drummers that have filled in for Peter. Yeah, it was the one tech had, that you had. We had Kevin Valentine, who was the drummer on Psycho Circus. Correct. I remember yeah, that. At, at, at Eddie Cannon, which was Peter Chris's drum tech. Thank you. That was his the, name. Played, I, I apologize played, Eddie, the, for not played, getting your name. Played, played the one show wearing Peter's makeup. That whole makeup and other people wearing makeup, that in itself is a you know, a million discussions to be had. And as we know, people will forever discuss that, you know, is it right? Is it wrong? Well, again, at the end of the day, my take is I got no say in the matter because it's not my business. Two guys sold their makeup to two guys who bought the makeup. It was a legal transaction. Everybody agreed to it. I can't really have issues with that. I mean, if we're talking legally that Ace and Peter did sell the rights to their makeup back to Gene and Paul as part of the discussions of the reunion tour, then you're right. Then I guess I don't have any leg to stand on when it comes to my not appreciation of the fact that Tommy and Eric are wearing their makeup. And that is I mean, not you, you, a knock you, on them as musicians. No, and, just- you, and you, you, you cannot like other people wearing the makeup. But at the end of the day... It what we had no say in the matter, and the two people who owned the makeup chose to take money for it instead of owning it. I mean that's that's basically what happened. Somebody said we'll give you X, Y, and Z in exchange for the rights to your makeup, and they said yes. They signed a contract. They said yes. So if the guys who created the makeup and made that legacy, sold it, how can I be as upset? Because they, maybe they regret it now, but oh well, you know, you can have regrets, but you sold it. You made that decision to let that happen. You made that decision to let that happen. As a fan, I don't have to like the decision, but to some extent, but to some extent I can sit here and go, well, that artist, kind of sold me out that's you know, true it's I, like what my, meant more I, to you was that identity or was it the money that you got yeah for it? Yeah, yeah it's a good point i mean your legacy seems to mean more to your fans than it meant to you at least at the time 
you know, maybe looking back now, they regret it. But hey, that's a business deal is a business deal. And, you know, lawyers advised you on this and you signed a contract. So and again, it know. is the music business. Keyword is business. Let's you know, when, yeah. you know, I would imagine when they sold the makeup, they had no idea that Kiss was going to become even bigger and more popular and more profitable. Who never thought they'd was. do a movie with Scooby-Doo? <laughs> you know, you look at the 80s and it's like Kiss was struggling to get through the 80s. Gene and Paul go, OK, we want the makeup. Oh, OK, well, there's, there's no history to Kiss. Let's take what we can get from this. At the time, it made sense. But you know what? That's sort of what business deals are. Sometimes you don't make the best deal because the world changes and you don't get to go back and call do over. I have read the biographies from three fourths of the original lineup. I haven't had a chance to read Jeans yet. I have to give all the credit in the world to Paul Stanley. He was the driving force that kept that band alive in the 80s when it seemed like it could have been considered a sinking ship. But regardless if I liked most of what he did or not is completely irrelevant. If it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't even be talking about Kiss today and unless we were talking about bands of the 70s that came and went. Yeah, so, I mean... I got to give him credit. I mean, he's the CEO of a company who helped that company survive a significant change in the marketplace and their product. And, you know, and again, I'm trying to use that in a general term so people sit here and go, oh, well, yeah, it could have been General Motors. It could have been Chrysler. It could have been McDonald's. It could have been anybody he did what he thought was best to keep his business running and moving forward and active. And yeah, you know, there's always going to be questionable decisions, but I think history will look back and go, he did the right thing because they made it through the eighties. They exploded again. I mean, literally how many bands can say they had, two significant heydays 20 years apart 70s and the 90s they were even bigger in the 90s than they were in the 70s and if anything they, their resurgence led to the popularity of bands from the 70s and 80s to come back and play to some of the biggest markets that they have like you mentioned yeah. the scorpions earlier i could also throw iron maiden in under that same paradigm i mean you know as odd as it was we were talking about we did, had no idea how the vip ticket sales were going to be i'm pretty sure that doc and Gene and Paul, when they put the tickets for Tiger Stadium and the reunion tour on sale, they were the same way. They were like, everything says this should be really good, but we don't know. This could be a bomb or this could explode. And it exploded. I mean, it, it's one of the, it was one of those great unknowns because let's be honest, in 96, Kiss musically was very much out of favor. I mean, we're you're talking grunge. You're talking any, my and, sophomore year of high school. Yeah, no doubt yeah, was like the biggest thing at the yeah, time. Yeah, and anything remotely hard rock, heavy metal, hair metal was like frowned upon mm -hmm. big time. I mean, literally four years earlier, the Revenge album, arguably one of their best albums, and the tour, one of their best tours, Bombed. Bombed. I mean, as fans, yes, we loved them as fans, but in general, 
you know, the, the revenge album just went gold, the tour playing to half filled arenas. And here you go. Four years later, they took the chance, rolled the dice and they sold out tiger stadium in what? 40 minutes. About that time, yeah. 70 minutes, 40,000 tickets in 70 minutes or something like that. And then the tour itself ended up being the highest grossing tour of the year. Mm -hmm. And I remember right before that, the last tours that they did with Bruce Kulik and Eric Singer, they did their tour of Japan and they did the tour of Asia. And they also did the tour of South America where they headlined Monsters of Rock, I think in it might have been Brazil or Sao Paulo, I think. And if I recall correctly, I think I read 80,000 people. Now, if you compare that to what they did with Vinny back on the Creatures Tour in uh, 83, where they played to 200,000 people, yeah, it might be a significant drop, but still 80,000 headlining to a packed stadium in Brazil. That's not an easy feat, you know? Well, I mean, especially they're, they're... when they, that same tour and same lineup was playing to 5,000 people in the U.S. Yeah, I, I always try to consider the fact that where a band may not be successful on their home turf, What's the demand for them like elsewhere? Because, I, you know, I mean, I, I love my country. I love the United States. I'm, I'm proud to have been born here. But to me, the United States is not the be all end all for a band's success. You know, I well, mean, we'll take, a, we'll take a band like Mr. Big, for example, huge in Asia. They were huge over there drawing arena numbers for their performances. Yeah. In the United States, they probably couldn't play a 1000 seater because people will always think of them as a to be with you band. But, you know, I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm just trying to come at this objectively. You well, know, like I think objectively, all bands know if you want to succeed, if you want a career, you've got to break in the U.S. Because there's a there's so many markets you can play in the U.S., you know, multiple markets in every state. You know, you can't have a career just playing Japan. There's a half a dozen shows you can do. Can you do it every year? No, because you're going to wear your welcome out. You'll wear your welcome out anywhere you go if you play over and over and over. So one of the things Kiss and a lot of bands may basically are good at is when they see things changing in the U.S., they know when they can go to other markets to kind of buy time. Kiss did that back with Unmasked. Un Unmasked in the U.S. was a flop, an absolute mm. flop. They did one show in the U.S., and that was just a show to introduce Eric Carr. No tour, but they toured Europe. And, of course, we know what they did in Australia. That huge. That concert to this day is my favorite Kiss concert that I've ever seen on video was that Sydney, Australia show. The ferocity that they played those songs with. So, I love so yeah, Eric you know, Carr's drumming. They, they, they knew they could go to another market. Creatures of the Night, incredible album. The tour was an absolute failure. Even absolute with the plasmatics failure. as an opening act. Even with the plasmatics, even with the amazing Vinnie Vincent that people claim saved Kiss, that tour got canceled. They did, what, 50-some shows, and then they pulled the plug on that tour. They were playing to, again, maybe 5,000 people, half-filled arenas. But that tour went down to Brazil, and we know they played to a couple hundred thousand people. Could they play 200,000 people every year in Brazil? No. No, because the demand wouldn't be there year after year after year. They also know they could hit Japan, which they did. You know, that sort of post-revenge tour they did, a non-makeup tour in Japan. 
they know where they could go for a year or so to buy time. They've got a market that'll support them. They'll look like superstars there. Hopefully things will change. They can come back to the U.S., regroup. You know, all bands are looking at it that way. It's like, you know, kind of like, where are your safety net markets? Ultimately, if you want a career for 50 years, you got to be able to succeed in the U.S., You know, I'm happy to say that every time I have a guest on the podcast, I always try to learn something from them. Like, I always try to hear them out. I have to say this is probably one of the most fun, most informative um, episodes that I've ever done. I'm beyond stoked and proud of the fact that you were willing to come on. And all I did was I just asked you via email and your perspective on things is refreshing and it's great to have a conversation about it as two mature adults and feel good and feel like not necessarily that something had to be accomplished, but the discourse was awesome. Yep. I, I really appreciate the fact that you came on, Mike. Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad to do this. I'm glad to do it. I mean, I, I you know, what this is what Three Sides is. We're, we try to have respectful conversations about KISS, understanding that everybody's got their own opinions, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong. I don't have to agree with it, but I don't have to attack you for it either. That's just what too many fans, not just in KISS, but of all bands, forget. It's like, you know, you're more than welcome to have your opinion. You're more than welcome to state what you think it is to you, but you can't speak for the other fans. You can't say right. all the other diehard fans think like me. No, because all I got to do technically is find one diehard fan that doesn't think like you and your whole argument is sunk. Yeah. So you can express your opinion all you want, but you have to respect and accept that other people can do the same. And ultimately, at the end of the day, again, isn't it just rock and roll? And we just want to listen to some great music and go to some fun concerts and, you know, smile, shove our fists up in the air a few times, maybe have some memories of when we saw them last. I mean, that's all this is at the end of the day. It's about somebody going and having a good time. That's really that's what, it. It, what it's all about. And I'm one of those fans that's happy to admit I'll put on crazy nights if I feel like smiling or feel good driving in my car, going to pick up my daughter from daycare. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of person that I am. It's like, I don't care if the majority think it's a bad album. I like it. I'm also of the opinion that for me, my favorite lineup was the Unmasked Tour. And people will think, oh, I'm crazy because I don't think it's the original lineup. Never knocking the original lineup. I'm just talking my preference, what I look for in a band. And for me, like that Unmasked video, uh, that tour, because my brother got me a bootleg of it when I was 14 as a birthday gift. This was around the time that their warehouse got stolen and people started bootlegging the videos and somehow he managed to find me one. I won't say who it was, but you know, they're probably not around anymore. But still the fact that I was able to see that as a 14 year old and be blown away with it and see Ace playing a black Les Paul, that's what made me want to go out and buy a black well, Les Paul. That, that, that's, that's the thing about music. First of all, all music is a hundred percent personal. Yeah. There, there, there is literally, we talked earlier, there's no rules. You can't sit here and say, well, this will be a hit because this guitarist is classically trained and can do X amount of notes and it's using this board. 
None of that means squat. You're right. None of that means squat. It's all about what your ear likes. That's it. What does your ear like? Now you add to that your personal experience when you first heard that music and it makes it all unique to you. Agreed. You know, so my first Kiss concert, Creatures of the Night Tour. There's only Gene and Paul were the only original members. But I don't care. That will go down in history as being the best concert I've ever seen by Kiss and probably one of the best concerts I've ever seen, period. Now, a lot of that is because of timeline. It was my first Kiss concert. It was emotions were exploding. The album was great. I felt like Kiss was back. But that was unique to me. And that's why arguing music is a pointless argument. Discussing is one thing. Arguing is different. Yeah. And it's you can ridiculous. You can discuss why you like it versus why I like it. Yeah. But arguing one is more right or all right is pointless. I mean... The epitome of absolute wasted musical discussions is when a musician will come to me and say, I'm a musician. I know what's good music. And I'm like, go away. You don't know any more about what's good music than what I do. You know how to play music. I give you credit for that. But knowing how to play music doesn't mean you know good music. They should just worry about being the best version of them that they could and hope that whatever they throw against exactly. the wall sticks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, in regards to my opinion on the current lineup, you know, I think Tommy and Eric are great musicians. Up until the point where you explained the reason why they're wearing the Spaceman and Catman makeup. At the time, I just felt bothered that they didn't have their own identities. But who am I to tell them that they're out of line for doing it, especially when a kid who was my age when I first discovered Kiss is seeing them now and probably thinking, wow, I'm seeing the greatest concert experience of my life. Who am I to take that away from them? I wouldn't well, want to you be know, that guy. And from a pure business standpoint... Nobody can really argue that it was the wrong decision at this point, because clearly it was the right decision. We're talking 20 years later, and they're still in the band. The band is still around, but from a marketing business branding standpoint, the four makeups and the KISS logo are recognized worldwide. Even if you're not a fan, they're recognized. People can look at it and go, I know that. That, that's that guy from that band, he spits blood. That's <laughs> yeah. the Kiss logo. Have you ever heard Kiss? I don't think so. Although if you start playing them songs, they'll probably go, oh, I remember that. I remember that. But as a business and a brand, those four makeups are what people are buying. It's not 1978, 80, 81, 82, when you've got new members and new makeup coming in. That's 40-some years ago, a completely different time, a completely different world. And frankly, let's be honest, the Vinnie Vincent makeup, it didn't do anything. It was literally only seen on one tour and no album covers. And the one tour was a bomb tour. Eric Carr's makeup was only seen live in the U.S. One show. The Palladium Show, 1980. The Palladium Show which actually was a different version of his makeup than what he ended up with. 
So even there, his makeup changed. Right. So Eric Carr's makeup was never seen on an album cover. It was seen at one show, and then it was seen in Europe and Australia. So I know as KISS fans, we have great love and appreciation for it. It meant a lot to us. But we're the converted that don't need to be preached to. Right. We're going to be there, as we've proven, even if they don't change the makeup and go back to the original four. We don't matter. And this is the one thing I always say to a lot of KISS fans. You have to step out of being a KISS fan and think like somebody who's not a diehard KISS fan. Think like somebody who never listens to a KISS podcast, never hangs out in a KISS Facebook group, never hangs out in a message board. He's a metal fan, hard rock fan. Maybe he's got a couple Kiss albums. He's gone to maybe one show, two shows over their life. Those are the people you got to think like. Those people, the Fox and the Ankh, mean nothing to them. And new characters mean even less. At this Mm. point in time, at this point in Kiss's career, 50 years later, creating new characters means nothing it's pointless i mean i would argue that the band understands we have got a year left in our touring career and then we are done on stage why would we want to start a whole new look of a band after we just spent 50 years building up this brand with four distinctively understood faces Right. And and to back up what you're saying, you are not in any way disrespecting the memory of Eric Carr or his contributions to the band. It's just you're speaking objectively. You know, what was the brand that is the most synonymous with Kiss? And you're talking about the first original four faces. And you're right. If Eric's Fox makeup, you know, if during the 80s, they didn't take the makeup off and Eric's Fox makeup was there for another 10 years. It's a different story. Eric Carr had more impact and influence out of makeup than he did in makeup. His drumming on Creatures of the Night, amazing. Oh, my goodness. but, but, But let's be honest. After that, he was lick it up and everything all the way up through Hot in the Shade. That had a lot more influence as Eric Carr than Eric Carr on The Elder and Creatures. I mean, in The Elder, you know, that's an afterthought to almost all music fans other than the very, very hardcore Kiss fans. Even the casual Kiss fans are like, Elder? Uh, No, you know, that wasn't rock and roll. There's no picture of the band on there. And Vinny was just caught in this short period of turmoil. Ace had left. They needed a guitar player. They had multiple guitar players on Creatures of the Night. Vinny, they had a tour. They got Vinny. He filled in. But right away, one year later, they're out of makeup. So the makeup, I guess this is what a lot of people don't understand, especially back in the, you know, the elder Creatures of the Night. The makeup was a hindrance to the band by that point in time. It was a joke. It was laughed at by the overall music public and even many KISS fans had issues with it by that point in time. 
Because it's like, what are you? Are you unmasked? Jeez, are you colorful Vegas act now? And the elder, it's like, oh, my God, you're wearing street clothes and short hair. You know, as fans, you were just like, I don't know what's going on anymore. So the makeup had even lost its impact by that time. It hurt the band by then. I get it. All good points. But again, here we are. 50 years after their inception, right before their end of the road, they're still playing to packed houses. I think you said it best yourself. In the end, KISS fans, we won. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Fuck you, Malaka! Now, back to our show. We did. I mean, you know, that that goes back to timeline, but I'm sure every KISS fan can relate to this. But I, you know, and we talk about it in the newest episode of Three Sides where we read the Cream Magazine review of Unmasked from 1980. If you were a KISS fan in 1980, the amount of shit you took for being a KISS fan, you can't comprehend it unless you were there. I mean, mm. I shared this story before, but in, and it's it's a hundred percent true. I remember nineteen eighty seventy nine, some point around there. It's like I want to wear a kiss shirt to high school, but I'm like, I'm literally in my bedroom going, do I want to put up with all the shit I'm going to get at school for the entire day for wearing my Kiss Dynasty concert T-shirt? Because I know I'm going to get Kiss sucks, Kiss can't play. They're terrible. You name it. You name it. Coming from every other rock fan in the school. And I'm like, no, fuck that. I want to, I'm proud of this band. They're my band. I still wore it. And I got all that shit. It started happening with Dynasty. It got really bad with Unmasked. And it pretty much was impossible around the Elder. I mean, if you were a KISS fan professing love for KISS when the Elder was out, people just laughed at you. Like, are you fucking serious? So when we say we won, that's back to every single person, any of us, at whatever point in our lives, because I'm sure we've all encountered it. Yeah. A friend, a non friend somebody just comes up and goes family member sometimes <laughs> kiss, kiss sucks man they can't play they're just makeup and pyro they've got no good songs you know they uh, terrible musicians go listen to jimmy page and tell me ace fraley is a better guitar player doesn't fucking matter we all heard it kiss will be gone in three years nobody wants to see them in concert they can't sell tickets they can't sell albums we all heard it and here we are 50 years later and kiss is still touring selling out stadiums arenas around the world and we can sit back and go yeah all you people who hated kiss told me they suck i won my band is still here my band is still here where's your band where's the band you said Oh, you said the knack blows away, Kiss. Oh, God. Because because the knack is all over the place with my Sharona. <laughs> Where's the knack? And and I don't mean any dis- disrespect to the knack, but it was, oh, this flavor of the month band, Where's they're going to blow Kiss away. Kiss has got no history. Well, where are you? Where's your band now? How many albums has your band released? How many gold albums have they got? How many albums have they sold? 
how how well are they touring right now? Well, they're still touring, but they're only playing to a thousand people in theaters. Well, the band you said that would never tour again just played to sixty thousand people. That's a pretty good number, and and we won. We won, and you know, to give uh, some context, nineteen ninety four birthday gift from my godfather was a t-shirt of the four solo albums and on the back it had the kiss logo in green and pink i was made fun of in middle school for wearing it i could have given two shits i was proud to wear that shirt and you know i i still love them i may not agree with everything they've done but that's completely irrelevant because as a music fan the music's meant something to me and that's why i'm still here and I'm happy Mike is here to talk about his career and kiss with me. Mike, one final question. If people want to hire you for your services or if they want to know more about what you're doing with both of your podcasts, where can they go? Just head over to my website, michaelbrandvold.com. And that's B-R-A-N-D as in David, V as in Victor, O-L-D, michaelbrandvold.com. And you'll find my services, links to the podcast. I'm everywhere. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. You just search for me. You'll find me. Everybody got that? Mike, thank you so much for coming on to the Music is Live podcast. I had a blast and really it was an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lou. If you want to know more about the Music is Live podcast, check us out over at musicislivepodcast.com. Also check out my link tree, which is Music is Live podcast. Also check out our parent network, Ratsai Review over at ratsireview.com. And remember everyone, all art is valid. Cheers and have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Music is Live podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsaw Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsaw Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leyuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislivepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislivepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers.